Bring me your tired, your stressed, your overwhelmed and anxious, yearning for some joy in life. It's time to go out and play. Hello and welcome back to Playgrounding. This is Kara Stewart-Fortier. Before I introduce the guest today, I want to tell you that I think I'm supposed to be a podcaster because you see, I was a philosophy major in college. I was also a literature major, which makes me like a podcasting double threat. Um, But one of the most important things I learned as a philosophy major was from my professor named Norm Priggy. And he had a big pet peeve when it came to jargon. He hated it. He called it profound sounding jargon and he would throw his head up in the air and make a big deal of it. Um, yeah, he was cute. Anyway, uh, if we ever wrote jargon in our papers, he would grade us down if we didn't go to extra efforts to make sure that we define it. We had to define it in the simplest terms possible so that anyone we meet on the street would understand what we're talking about. If we didn't do that, we would get a lower grade. Um, Yeah, he really hated it. And I then moved into life learning to also hate jargon. Um, Whenever I enter a community or workplace that uses a lot of big unintelligible words, um, acronyms, oh my goodness, I'm looking at you, corporate America, um, I get really annoyed because the problem with jargon isn't that it's big fancy words. The problem with jargon is that it divides us. It divides people into who's in and who's out, who understands and who doesn't. Um, And so I think that's why my entire life I've had this obsession with making sure that no matter what I learn, no matter how deep I go into an academic community, I always learn to use words that include. Um, I may not always succeed, but I try. So the topic today is very close to my heart for a lot of reasons. Um, today we're having a conversation with Alessandra Calderin. Um, we hit it off from the start. She has this really amazing no-nonsense approach to health and spirituality that I really, really appreciate. And as you might know, I am studying to become an interfaith minister. And one of the things that I have been dreading, I mean, <laughs> joining conversations about spirituality on the internet. I mean, yeah, no matter what you believe, no matter what your background is, um, we can pretty much all agree that conversations about spirituality on the internet get very messy. Um, There are a lot of jargon. The conversations get weird. They get mean. um, And they're usually oversimplified and shallow. Um, And I like to go deep. So sometimes, well, I guess I've just been trying to stay out of it for the most part, Um, trying to stay out of trouble. But I can't help but wonder if I'm really the only one who feels the way I do. Does anyone else think the way that I do about these kinds of conversations? Am I the only one asking these kinds of questions? And when I met Alessandra, I realized, no, I'm not. Of course I'm not. Um, So really quickly before we start, let me say first that when I'm referring to spirituality, I don't mean religion. Um, spirituality is many things. Um, it's the search for the sacred. It's a little more of a broad category of what it is. For me, I like to think of it as the search for the heart of the interconnectedness of all of us, of all beings, of all things. It's a whole nother thing. No jargon there, of course. Um, but those are my favorite definitions of spirituality. Well, religion, on the other hand, it facilitates spirituality. It takes it, packages it, gives it some 
it comes from a specific culture usually, or it's adapted by a specific culture with lots of specific language and things like that. And so the reason I'm saying this is that I feel like spirituality on the internet starts to take on its own religious feel. And like any religion, if you don't agree with the assumptions, if you don't understand the jargon, it can seem like you're on the outside looking in. So once again, we've got all this division. So today, Alessandra and I are going to talk about jargon, about spiritual jargon. We're going to examine the ideas behind some of the words. Um, we're going to question them. We're going to play with them. And we're sometimes going to disagree with them. Um, we're going to ask more of them. We're going to go deeper and kind of find some aspects to them that I think were the original ideas and maybe pull them out a little bit more. Um, and what we really hope to accomplish in this conversation, I think, if I can speak for Alessandra, is that I want you to feel free to question too. I want you to know that you're not the only one. Um, and I want us all to approach spiritual teachers, anything we learn in this arena, gurus, even like diet coaches, all that kind of stuff. We need to approach what we learn from teachers and coaches with a healthy skepticism. And we are going to use a blog post for this conversation that I think you will really love. It is called Decoding Spiritual Jargon by Alessandra Calderon, which you can find a link to in the show notes at playgrounding.com slash 66. You will also find a link to her next upcoming offering called Becoming. It's an intimate communal learning experience that we will be walking through toward the end of this episode as well. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Alessandra. She is a mentor, educator, and writer behind Boneseed, a private practice devoted to helping people cut the shit and be themselves. Throughout her personal journey and studies in various healing modalities, it became clear to her that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to health, despite what the gurus may say. That's why her practice serves as an inclusive playground that keeps agency where it belongs within you. Alessandra has over 500 hours of yoga, mentorship, and facilitation training, in addition to plenty of self-study. She can be found slinging knowledge on her website, newsletter, and at bone.seed on Instagram. And you'll find links to her website on the Playgrounding show notes. So before we get started, there's one quote that kept coming to mind before I, as I was preparing this episode, and I want to share it with you. It's from the Dhammapada. It says, you yourselves must strive the Buddha's only point the way. So now, meet Alessandra. All right. It's so good to see you again, Alessandra. It's been a while. You know, to be honest, it doesn't feel like that much of a while to me because time has been in a weird vortex. But yeah. it's great to see you too. <laughs> yeah, it was really strange. I, I Somebody introduced me to Lunch Club and you're my very first match there. And it's just it totally got me hooked on it. And I'm so glad I got to meet you there. It was totally random. <laughs> I know. Uh, I actually got a notification today. I think you're on your seventh meeting. Is it really? Well, I was doing two a week for a while and now I'm only doing one because it's a little much, but it's such a wonderful idea. Um, yeah. it, it's still invite only. So if anybody out there, it's this thing where you actually get matched up with people like a dating site, only it's for fun and just to meet new people in different industries. And, and the first person I met was Alessandra Calderon and it's I just couldn't even believe it. First of all, I see in the background that she she and her boyfriend have some Bernie Med paraphernalia, which, of course, was, you know, an instant for me. But then as we started talking, I realized, like, 
I am starting to figure out how to move into talking about spirituality and play. Um, and I have a lot of preconceived notions about what that means. And I see that Alessandra, her, her, her thing is spirituality and, and self-work, but her, her profile picture is this sassy, sassy, funny looking, <laughs> not funny looking, you're beautiful, but it just oh that made God. me laugh. Cause I thought, oh my yeah. goodness, this is someone I can talk to about how to approach this. Um, yeah, that was just kind of an instant for me. Um, you told me, you said one of the things why you decided to make your picture not so serious and maybe you'll make it a little silly. Why did you do that? Um, it just feels like a better representation of who I am. Um, I came from a corporate world and never really, I mean, luckily my last corporate job wasn't too hung up on professionality <laughs> and they kind of encouraged everyone to be themselves a bit, but there's still that like little veneer of, of how you need to act around certain people. And so I don't know, like the idea of playing around with spirituality or, you know, going to a yoga class or starting meditation has all of these parameters around it. And I, I like playing with breaking things, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I I was raised Catholic mm -hmm. and uh, one of my mom's favorite stories to tell is I think I was in second grade or something and she was picking me up early from like a good Friday mass. And I was, I as I was walking out, I started laughing and the vice principal was like, Jesus died today. You cannot laugh. And my mom was <laughs> like, yeah. And my mom was like, you can do whatever you want. And just like yanked me out of there. <laughs> well, wait, how old were you again? I was like eight years old. Okay. Oh my God. It was like a Hispanic Catholic school. Like they're very intense there. Uh, I'm sure with your background, you understand and can appreciate that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But still <laughs> just, yeah, exactly. And I feel like my thing on the internet has been, as I try to contemplate, you know, what kind of words do I use? What kind of images do I use? And if you go onto any kind of site that does stock images and things like that, it's spirituality <laughs> is just so funny because you would think that everyone having a spiritual experience is standing on top of a, a mountain with their arms aloft or with a sunset, or it's a woman with a flowy gown, um, people stacking rocks. Oh, the Kafka. Yes, the Kafka. Same with like, yeah, it's just, I'm just not like that. And I'm like, am I going to just be this weirdo? Should I even try to do this? And, and then I realize you're out there paving the way. Um. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm far from the first, but thank you. <laughs> You'll have to introduce me to others and inspire you too. But this is, I, and one of the things we sort of decided to talk about, you just put out a blog post. It's called Decoding Spiritual Jargon. And if we might be able to like sort of run through a few of these, I mean, it just sure. came out. So I haven't had a chance to go through it. Literally it came out today, like right before um, we started. So I came out. To, to be specific, I finally finished it and literally just published it because I promised you that I would have it done by the time we spoke. <laughs> so good. This is awesome. No, I'm excited because I feel like we kind of get I kind we kind of had a little bit of this conversation before. Yeah. So some spiritual jargon. So jargon is words that they mean something only within a certain group of people. And I think a lot of people, when they hear some of these words, they immediately turn off or if you hear some of these words, 
they have very specific meanings to very specific groups of people. So it starts to fragment us. Um, so let's sort of like, not, we don't have to go through all of them, but like maybe you could pick your favorite and I'll just start off with the first one for me. Manifest. I hear that a lot, especially around women's groups. Um, oh, for sure. <laughs> talk about manifest for me. So um, as I as I mentioned in the post, like the idea of manifesting in and of itself is kind of cool. It's this idea of like really visualizing what you want, feeling the feeling in your body um, and and using that as like step one of working mm -hmm. towards your goals, intents, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. The unfortunate thing is that in context, it's often used in these like pseudo spiritual new age circles, um, often by, you know, very attractive, privileged women mm -hmm. uh, to, to say that they got something because like the universe wants them to. You yes. Know? Mm -hmm. um, so as I, I as I referenced in the post, Rise Up Good Witch, who is super awesome, made this meme that says, maybe you manifested it. Maybe it's white privilege. And while like, <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> well, that's a lot to unpack for a lot of people. Like, let's just take it down mm -hmm. to the bare bones. bit. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Right. Like like when you say I manifested this, mm -hmm. that can mean. A variety of things. It could mean like I put in the work to do this, or mm -hmm. it could mean this was just given to me by my sugar daddy. <laughs> and I'm not oh saying that that's like how people are really using it. I am just mm -hmm. saying it could mean a lot of things, some of which, you know, puts a lot of the onus on you to mm -hmm. put in the work to get the stuff. But sometimes it's like, I'm young and pretty and someone wants to give me things because I'm young and pretty, not because like <laughs> I'm some blessed magical being. Like I'll, I'll say in my own experience, you know, like I, I love to travel alone. And while there is definitely some precaution and danger being mm -hmm. a young woman traveling alone, <laughs> people are also really nice to you and give you shit. Mm -hmm. yep. And yeah, part of it's cause I'm nice to people, but a lot of it is probably because I'm cute, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's also, there, it's funny, I don't talk about Burning Man that much on this podcast, honestly, but it reminds me of something that a lot of burners say, which is the playa provides. And that means, you know, if you're stuck out in the middle of nowhere and your your parasol flies away and you don't have any more water, sometimes there are all these stories of mysteriously someone walks out of the dust and just hands them water and, and makes everything all right. And people will just come to Burning Man with no provisions and be like, the playa will provide. And sometimes it does, but most of the time people are like just really mad about people who say that because they're like, yeah, because I brought extra stuff because I knew there would be a lot of people out here who didn't prepare. <laughs> um, and so, yes, there are magical instances and it's not taking away from those moments where some people actually have those. Mm -hmm. But but I, I feel like especially right now with so much poverty being compounded by the by the economy that's happening right now in the United States and all over the world, dealing with the COVID and all of the things some some of the things we might have been able to manifest easier a few years ago it's it's a lot different and there are other things you can manifest besides physical objects or jobs or things like that um yeah for sure and actually with in, in line with the playa provides uh, so i had never read wild by cheryl strayed 
Um, and it was, it was like mentioned to me a couple times in one week. So I was like, I'll listen to the audiobook. And I wasn't really paying attention for a while, but the, once I did, I started to like have some issues with it. <laughs> and then I found a blog that like really details all of the issues with it. But the one that's relevant to this conversation is that she goes into the wilderness completely unprepared and is lucky enough to have a lot of kind strangers help her along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that lack of preparation is irresponsible. And the kind of people who love wild by Cheryl Strait are the same mm -hmm. kinds of people who are buying into like this idea of manifestation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I no just, offense yeah. if that's you, like no, not, no. not you specifically, like whoever's listening to this. Yeah. It, I've, I have been that person before also, but once we start to like, see the places where we can fall into that kind of magical thinking mm -hmm. we can just ask ourselves like what other contributing factors are mm -hmm. adding to this yeah yeah it's it's really and also I feel like in circles where people do talk about this like this as if it's just a normal thing they may forget that sometimes people have questions and maybe they mm -hmm. don't believe it and then if you express doubt you automatically fall into that spiral of, well, you just haven't tried. Um, and I remember in church, you know, and people would ask questions are like, well, you just don't trust Jesus enough. Well, you just this, you know, it's just, but questioning is one of the most important things that you can do when it comes to anything that requires faith, anything at all. If you don't address doubt, it's blind faith is, I, I was just reading Gloria Karpinski. She wrote a book called um, Barefoot on Holy Ground. That's just become my new... Oh, I read it once and now I'm going through it again, but she talks about visioning and, and, and how important it is to be really aware when you're doing something like this, this isn't some kind of a commercial transaction with the universe that you're making. It's about, it's not about the external world providing something for you. It's about something of visioning, really envisioning and focusing on this vision requires a lot of, a lot of us because it changes something in us and it doesn't just it's not like you're handing a dollar to into a slot into a um, you know into a machine and then just like pushing a button and getting a coke out. Which is I feel like I feel like it's not just in the envisioning in the manifestation crowd. It's also in a lot of the way people look at God through other religions as well. For sure. And actually, Jules Evans, who I I linked to his article, he and these two other guys are have a podcast called Conspirituality. They talk about, yeah, it's awesome. They talk about how, uh, how like the new age yogi druggy crew got, uh, like sequestered into the whole QAnon thing. Mm. Um, but so he recently published a piece on spiritual bypassing and includes Christian bypassing and stoic bypassing. So it's just like all of the phrases that people use to kind of bypass the negativity and, you mm. know dealing with difficult and hard things. Yeah. So yeah, it definitely pervades any type of belief system. Yeah. And what, wh how would you say manifestation is different from law of attraction? Cause that has a little more kind of sounds a little more like something you got from a specific, I remember it from a specific book. So I even thought of it, isn't that a, like a book title, but you do yeah, hear it all like the time. The law of attraction, I'm pretty sure, is like some sort of community or ethos or whatever. Like they have a website. Mm -hmm, um, yeah. And 
I think law of attraction is a little more dangerous because they, they're very victim blamey. Um, so the idea behind the law of attraction is that like anything that happens to you in your life, you attract. Oh Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To which in, I actually have that one included in the piece. And my response to that is if you're a citizen of a country that's at war, did you attract the war as like a regular citizen? If you were a child with cancer, did you attract the cancer by being born? You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. I used to think the exact same thing Mm -hmm. when people would talk about, um, it's actually what I heard a lot of people talk about when I was in my church days is questioning the idea of there being a God at all, because how could these horrible things happen? And, and I was one of the, I felt like one of the few who really believed in free will, like that truly believed in free will, not just for me, but for everyone else on the planet. And Mm -hmm. that I wasn't just sitting here having my own spiritual experience in this, you know, in this little virtual, virtual virtual reality experience that I was experiencing the world as other people see it too. And they were manifesting or or doing their thing and making their own free will choices. So blaming it on God made no sense to me, but it always was this weird conversation we kept having that just seemed to go round and round. Um, Yeah. Well, and the, the, the Christian bypass way around that is God works in mysterious mysterious. ways. Mm -hmm. God just, God called back another angel Oh, I hate that so much. Oh, that's my, yeah. A friend of mine who lost her baby at nine months that they thought Mm. were going to live. It was a baby with a heart defect and he had lived through several surgeries. He died in the hospital from having accidentally thrown up and breathed it in. Oh my God. It wasn't even his heart that killed him. And it was just the most tragic thing. And we were both preacher's kids and just, you know, the world of the church was around us and, the people who would say things like that. It was like the first time in my life to this day, I feel this visceral feeling of like, how dare you say that to her? <laughs> you know? I'm so sorry. That's so it's, hard. It's hard. It's hard, but we're just, we don't do And it's well hard when you get told that. Yes. Yes. Because it makes you feel like there's something wrong with you that, mm-hmm. you know, that if things are bad or happening to you, that you're, there's something wrong with you. You're not attracting the right things or that everything happens for a reason, which you always addre- also address in this piece, which is great. <laughs> yeah. And and I maybe I should give a little background. I think mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I feel so strongly about this now is because back in November of 2019, I suffered a concussion mm-hmm. and I because of, you know, the people I follow on Instagram, the communities I've been a part of, I mm-hmm. had this thing in me that I didn't even know was there where I was like, I'm doing something wrong. Like if Mm -hmm. I was doing things right, like this wouldn't have happened to me. Like I am misaligned in some way. And this has been the lesson that I needed. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, I suffered symptoms for over a year and I still have like little, little things that still kind of bother me from it, but I'm totally fine. Like I (laughs) I feel really happy and lucky. Um, But At this point, you know, I am grateful that that happened to me because of what I was able to learn from it. But it's not because actually I talk about this a little bit at the end of the piece. I talk about the idea that everything happens for a reason. Like Mm -hmm. the concussion didn't happen to me for a reason, but I created reason out of it. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And I think that's what we do as humans is we create like when bad shit happens to us, we have the ability to create reason out of it. And we do it with the help of other people. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of this spiritual stuff uh, messes up. Like these, mm-hmm. this idea of manifesting, of calling in abundance. Yeah. It makes it sound like it's all about you, but really yeah. we are so interdependent. Oh, I'm almost crying, like talking to you about this. It's so, it's so important. I mean, I just, I can't even say like how this conversation is just something that I, I, tr- I try to avoid when people are very eagerly passionate about these kinds of issues and they just believe it and don't you dare say anything against it. And I feel like that even when I read, I can feel it coming through this web through the websites, you know, that talk about these kinds of things. But this is so important, not just because people are out there feeling like there's something wrong with them or that the universe is, you know, going to make an example out of them or this is just what I needed right now. Mm-hmm. But we are makers of meaning. That is one of the I mean, I always grew up believing we were made in the image of God, right? Well, mm-hmm. God was the creator of the universe. I can create things too, if I'm like that. Like to me, that was the thing about God that I found the most awesome. Yeah. But then as you get older and older and you, you know, you start to hate yourself and do all the things and you start to see God as this punishing. If you grew up in, in a very religious, in, in the kind of churches that I believe that he could punish you, that he really wants you dead if it weren't for Jesus, you know, that that's a whole nother topic. Yeah. But <laughs> But it just, it, I, I feel like everyone needs a chance to hear the fact that it's not your fault that other people have free will and that other people do horrible things sometimes. And it's not your fault that cancer cells start dividing and multiplying. Sorry, they multiply. And it's it's not your fault, but it's what you can do with it that matters. It's what you do with the, what God called, what in the Genesis, they called it the chaos, that he hovered above the face of the deep, that there was chaos And God said, let's do something with it, you know, and to me, that's so much more magical, Um, but it doesn't require magical thinking. It requires hard work and deep reflection and And community and community. Absolutely. So what, how did, after that happened to you, like after you, cause you were going along pretty well, you said that you've had quite a shift in your thinking about your work um, and your workshops and the, and the work that you do with others, which we'll talk about here in just a few minutes, but that concussion really led you to some new ways of doing things, right? Yeah. Well, well, so the concussion happened in November and then COVID was in March Mm-hmm. And so um, I had already been f- trying to focus more on on my coaching practice and mentorship. Uh, but that really forced me to go full force on that and writing as opposed to, you know, teaching yoga classes and, and doing the fitness thing mm-hmm. uh, because, well, gyms were closed for a while. And then when they reopened, I, I live in Miami, Florida, so yeah. I don't feel great about going into public spaces. <laughs> Uh, even in my building, like in the elevator, it's a mission to be in a place where people have their masks over their nose. Oh my God. And I used to, for a while, I was like, Hey, could you please put this over your nose? But I think I've got, I've gotten like COVID fatigue. I just can't, I just can't even ask people to do it anymore. I'm like, whatever. I I have, I have my mask on. I'm fine. Whatever. (laughs) But anyways, so that, that, that necessity, uh, enabled this shift and and I had to take time away from taking on new clients or anything because I just didn't have the mental capacity to do it Mm -hmm. and so it really gave me the space to uh reflect on you know what it was I was teaching and what it was I I cared about and what I thought was important and it just 
it gives a lot more perspective into the how it is or rather to what it's like to live in a body that doesn't always cooperate with you. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Cause I think early in my yoga practice as a teacher, I yoga is what made me feel good in my body. Mm-hmm. And it gave me the space to feel energetically connected and vibrant and, and full but then I was living with a body that like, no matter what I did, just didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I guess, uh, what's the, what's the phrase? Uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Oh, I had yeah. to figure out new ways to, to talk about how to be in a body, even if it doesn't feel good. Mm, wow. Yeah. Cause th- there are some situations you just can't, I sorry, like manifest your way out of like, you can't, yeah. no matter how hard you pray. And I, I, it's, yeah, that's really hard. And I mean, having a concussion affects every single aspect of your life. From what I, I read, I read the post where you, you talked about that. And, and you said that at, toward the end of your post, you said it changed your work. So before and after, what do you think you were doing before that was different from what you learned from that experience? And, and how is that affecting what you do with your clients now? Uh, so I don't, I don't think it changed as much like the actual, like my one-on-one clients. Cause I'm mm-hmm. still the same person. I still teach a, a lot of the same things. It's just my attitude towards it. I think I'm a lot more understanding and, and I'm also a lot more willing to hold people accountable for their shit <laughs> at, <laughs> at points in time. Yeah. Uh, I've, uh, I, I've traditionally had a hard time, um, putting on the tough love. Mm. Uh, but my husband gave me a fair amount of tough love when I was in my <laughs> concussion recovery. And it, sometimes it was, we needed to tone it down, but other times it was helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, other times I would be like, oh yeah, I am being a little bitch. Like I can, <laughs> I can take one more step today. Yeah. Wow. Like, like you said, we heal in community. Yeah. Wow. So tell me a little bit about the work you do with clients. I know you have different types of workshops, tarot, um, different things like that. And and you have a class coming up as well called Becoming. I Um, do. Yeah. Tell me about that. Okay. So Becoming is, it's basically the class of my dreams. Uh, Yeah. So it's, it's, it's five parts. And what I really wanted to do is create a community experience where, where we're just able to dive a little deeper into kind of the, the concepts that I have found um, to be the most helpful and the most important in my personal development. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be a small group of around six people and it'll meet every other week for 10 weeks. So it'll mm-hmm. be five in-person sessions and six emails. Um, so the first session is becoming curious in which we talk about developing that sense of curiosity, healthy skepticism, and how to ask those questions Mm, um, and how to use those questions to work with intuition in an intelligent way. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I know that there's like this tendency in the QAnon crowd to be like, I know these things to be true in like my deepest self. And it's like, well, is it your deepest self or have you been influenced by something else? You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, yeah. It, 
it's really important to kind of check those intuitive impulses with our own biases, our actual reality, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, then becoming embodied is about living in the body. Um, and there'll be, you know, breath awareness and, and meditation practices to, you know, feel what it's like in your body, notice ways that you can move to reduce pain or discomfort and ways to kind of like dive into what, you know, your movement needs. Also, we'll be talking about our relationship to fitness and food and Mm. sleep and all of those things that we need to, to nourish our bodies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't think of those as spiritual issues, but they really are. Yeah. It's, I mean, (laughs) if we're talking about like the chakra system, that's the first one. Like if you don't Mm -hmm. have that foundation, Mm -hmm. nothing else can, can grow. And I like to talk about the chakra system as like an ideation concept Mm -hmm. because I find it helpful. I just, Mm -hmm. I like to, to differentiate that. I don't necessarily believe that there's like a energetic ball at the base of your spine, but it's a helpful concept (laughs) when you're meditating to visualize that. Mm-hmm. anyways that's uh, great yeah <laughs> then and, you know, the and that's oh yeah no and that's something we don't really talk about that much is is that I feel like literalism is kind of a default especially in America um the you know in, in the United States of America literalism became a thing for a lot of reasons there's a whole history of it and why um but literalism also seeped out of religion into other things I mean actually being able to use our imaginations to try to put order or make some sense out of some things we can't quite explain there's nothing wrong with that and it doesn't mean we don't believe in it just because Mm -hmm. there's not an actual ball of light at the base of my spine doesn't mean there's not something going on in my body that that image in my mind is actually helping me access something different you know I mean it's yeah (laughs) so I I did an advanced yoga training on energy and the subtle body and my teacher Justin who was also like my has been my main teacher, mm-hmm. uh, outside of that context, he had us get this book called like energy in the subtle body. And on the front cover, we had to write, this book is not objectively true, but it is practically useful and subjectively common. Nice. Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> I love so it. Those phrases are really helpful when kind of dissecting what is useful to talk about as a concept. <sighs> but maybe not literally actual reality that can be proven, you know? Yeah. I love that. It's a pragmatism that I just don't find that often. Oh, wow. That's great. So after being embodied, you have becoming authentic. Yes. And I feel like authentic and authenticity are words that get thrown around a lot. Yeah. Uh, Especially in like the influencer crowd. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm so authentic. I don't know. (laughs) I don't mean to make fun of people, but no filter, but it's, uh, yeah, I cannot filter myself when it comes to it. Uh, And so what, what becoming authentic will entail is like, what, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And another good tool that is not necessarily objectively real is the <laughs> the astrological ideas of having a rising sign, a sun sign and a moon sign. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care if you relate to your own rising sun and moon signs, but the idea that we have three, these three facets of personality, one of which is how we project ourselves, one of which is how we experience the world. And one of which is how we process like our own internal landscape and emotions, mm-hmm. I think is a really useful way to think about how we navigate mm-hmm. through the world. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. And I happen Beautiful. to like really align with my Capricorn sun, but <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But I acknowledge that that could just be a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of it like Myers-Briggs, like that's Ooh. another really useful tool for mm-hmm. thinking about how you are with other people. And then it gives you a framework for deconstructing, like, how was I as a child? How am I now? Like what external influences made me one way or the other? And Mm -hmm. if I didn't have this laundry list of expectations, what would I really be like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. (sighs) Wow. And, and and I've, and I kind of want to like, when I think about all of these things, because being authentic and finding the ways that we can we can look at all of these things. Like we can understand usefulness of it, it doesn't take the mystery out. If we mm-hmm. just, if we, if we allow ourselves to say that it's not literal or it's not, you know, a, an object objective description of, you know, it's not something science can prove that doesn't take the power away from it. You know, the way that we look at how we talk about what it is to be an authentic self using these kinds of using these kinds of languages to express these mysterious parts of ourselves in the universe it just makes it more powerful I think I think even more powerful than if we try to make it literal or objective (laughs) so this is for sure I mean when we talk about mythology Mm -hmm. right like we don't necessarily believe that Zeus it's it's escaping me I don't know he didn't he like have sex with a goat or he had sex with many animals many animals many animals (laughs) we don't believe that that literally happened (laughs) but the story means something bigger than itself yeah and it means something communally it influenced and and I think that's what's so powerful about scriptures and I feel like they shouldn't all be tossed out just if they're not something that science can prove I think they should be looked at from so many angles but all of the mysterious things that it that we don't understand the stories that we've been telling for thousands of years have clues. And they also remind us how not, how much we all have in common around this planet, around different times in history. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, the Bible is full of amazing mythological mm-hmm. stories. And even in the new Testament, I mean, if you actually look at the text, mm-hmm. Jesus was a radical revolutionary of color who Mm -hmm. literally like tossed out capitalism from the Jewish temple. Like, yeah, absolutely. And I, it's, I have no idea how it's escaped everyone. Um, that's the, (laughs) well, because the, the Jesus story, this, the words of Jesus actually were the thing that when I, when I had to emerge out, um, and just to sort of save my own soul for a little while, just figure out what in the world I was doing, it was those the teachings of Jesus that really kept pulling me back again and again and again because they're just they were so powerful. Wow. Well, next the next is becoming loved. Um, yeah. 
it doesn't seem like that would be something that would be very hard. It's like, of course, we all want to be loved, but yeah. it seems like something we have to participate in. <laughs> yeah, um, that one really is inspired by both my journey of like learning to love myself after, mm -hmm. um, you know, bouts of, of anxiety and depression in my early 20s, most, mm -hmm. most specifically, and of learning how to uh, love my husband or not learning mm -hmm. how to love my husband, but like understanding the difference between this relationship and my previous relationships. And I think the biggest thing is not that there was anything wrong with my previous partners. Mm -hmm. It's that I wasn't ready to be the kind of person and maybe they weren't ready to be the kind of person that stays Um, and, and I remember this one relationship, it wasn't even a relationship, but after college, I, I had a romantic dalliance with someone who really liked me in retrospect, but at the time I couldn't understand why they were putting in so much effort to spend time with me and be with me that I just assumed, I remember like our quote unquote breakup conversation. I was like, you just think I'm some sort of manic pixie dream girl. And it's like, no, you just really thought I was cool and, and worth a lot of time, but I couldn't see that for myself. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I don't think yeah. he has any idea that I use this as an example. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. No, I haven't uh, read this yet, but one of the links here in this description is, is a uh, blog post you wrote about romances bullshit. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Well, so that's something my husband and I talked a lot about during our early courtship. And, mm -hmm. you know, we have all these ideas that come from say anything and love actually. And when Harry met Sally and we expect these like big romantic gestures to be the things that, you know, prove someone's love. And that's it's anyone can do that. Anyone mm -hmm. can just be like, like play a boom box outside your window. But it's like, <laughs> are you going to be there for me when yes. I'm like having a mental breakdown because mm -hmm. I'm having a relapse of concussion symptoms, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. That's real. Are Things you going to show up when I need help? Am I, am I capable of showing up for you when you need help? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like spirituality, romance itself, like there's like a branding to it mm -hmm. that we've all kind of accepted that all makes sense. There are like certain colors you'll see on movie posters for rom-coms that you'll never see anywhere else. But romance is deep and I mean, not romance, but love is deep and colorful and dirty and messy and all of the things. Yeah, it's that's a that's a great session idea. Um, and then the final one is called Becoming Free. Yeah. Ooh, that one's <laughs> yeah. that one's the most complex of them yeah, all. Yeah. Uh, so, so when it comes to the idea of freedom, right? Mm -hmm. We have we have these big societal freedoms that don't exist for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I've said this before; that is above my pay grade. Like <laughs> I don't have the answers to these yeah. problems. They affect us all. Um, and I don't even have the answers for personal freedom, but I have 
the questions that we can ask to help ourselves break free of the identities we've created for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So this kind of takes the lessons of all of the other courses and brings it into like, what are we working towards and what does that mean for us? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I don't know if you're a Final Fantasy VII person. I really am. My uh, husband is. I am not. But <laughs> so in the pre technically it's the it's a prequel. Um, but one of the characters, Zach Fair, says the price of freedom is steep. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of like his whole his whole arc is mm -hmm. like he's trying to get out of the situation and he just can't. Um, and it is. You know, the price of freedom is steep and mm -hmm. it can be in good ways and in bad ways. This just looks at what what are the personal freedoms that we want to work towards mm -hmm. and what are the personal uh, like labels that we want to break free of? You know, for me, a big one is since I was young, I've always been like the bookish one. And while like, I certainly am still the bookish one and I love to read, I am <laughs> so much more than the bookish one. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And one of the things I love about what you do and what you emphasize is you talk about helping people build their, build their intuition and become more in touch with what they really want. And I feel like the, where that, where I didn't realize that I was going to be learning this until I started my work as an interfaith minister, because being a minister in a church or something like that means that you're directing someone toward sticking with orthodoxy, sticking with the teachings mm -hmm. and then following them. And that's where you'll find the freedom and questioning isn't necessarily always encouraged, but what the kind of work that you're doing and the kind of work that I'm going to be doing um, and working toward. And I think I think I have been working toward it with play because that's what play actually gets you to mm -hmm. do is to pay attention to it, it, it. You have to set yourself free like you were when you were a kid to be able to experience it. But I just love that in addition to reminding people about their their needs to stick with community, but also that they're not the only one out there, you know, experiencing things. We are in this together. But but I feel like a lot of people need to hear the message that you talk about. Listen to what's actually going on in you. You don't have to express spirituality with these particular types of jargon words. You don't have to look like the ladies in the flowy beach ads or <laughs> stock photos when you have to be spiritual. Because I think a lot of people say, I'm not a spiritual person. But that's just because they're, they're maybe not identifying with those images and the, the words and the way that people speak. And I really love that because you just bring it down to earth, you know, you let it be. Yeah. Like that's really cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. And it's, it's why I appreciate the work of people like Jessamine who um, she's like a larger black woman and she does yoga and she's very good at it. Um, mm -hmm. And she has made yoga so much more accessible for so many people. Mm -hmm. And it's, beautiful it's I, I love to see it I and you know I am I am Latina but I am lighter skinned and I am on the thinner side so even though I do have larger boobs than the average yoga teacher <laughs> so there there are certain tricks that you you've got to learn when you have certain body types uh -huh. I'm getting I'm getting very off topic but I no, do want to share yeah. I do want to share um <laughs> For for my big breasted friends out there who like yoga, shoulder stand tends to suffocate us. But if you get a strap or a belt and shove them down, 
it's very helpful. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. I, yeah, I, had, that. <laughs> I had a teacher teach me that during my teacher training. It was a game changer. But anyways, um, when you don't see people who look like you doing things, and that's why, you know, we have all of these conversations about representation, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I was always afraid of asking people about manifestation and all of those things, just because I didn't have any frame of reference for what that meant. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like everyone else did. And when you walk into a situation like that, or you're, you know, in a community like that, where you're like, and and then if you get told what it is and you have questions or you think it sounds like a weird thing, you're not going to say anything. You'll just avoid those conversations. That's kind of what I started doing, especially with online communities during COVID where I kind of go into different women's groups. And I'm like, um, I don't know how to talk to them in that language. So I'm going to keep looking for another group. Um, Mm -hmm. But if you're out there and you've experienced that and you say, well, I must not be a spiritual person. I must not understand these things yet. You know, I don't know how to speak that language. Just keep looking and know that we're out there. (laughs) I count myself as one of them. But the the, the starts with asking all the questions and being really honest about how you feel with about stuff. You don't have to agree with people. You don't have to be mean. You don't have to say that sounds like bullshit. You just say that's, you know, if you don't feel like they're receptive to questions, you can just bow out or you can just say, explain that. Help me understand this. Uh, (laughs) Asking questions is one of the most important things we can do. Um, And I really feel like Alessandra, you're like one of those people that encourages that. And I really think that's amazing. Um, and I, and you do have also one-on-one clients. I don't know if you have any availability now, but what does that look like? Is it like a weekly thing or? Yeah. So it, it depends on the person and the way I usually structure it is, uh, 10 weeks every week. Mm-hmm. Um, I typically have my clients journal, mm-hmm. um, and depending on their needs, we'll have, uh, an hour and 15 minute conversation every week. Sometimes that'll have like a guided visualization meditation. Um, I find that even my clients who are not very spiritually inclined really enjoy that practice. Cause it, it's, it's less about, uh, the practice of meditation and more about just letting you listen to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so, and so folks really tend to like that and it, tends to lead to a lot of insight. Um, and then sometimes we'll continue every week. Sometimes folks change to every other week. Um, and I I say most of my clients work with me for six months to two years Mm -hmm. is, is about my average. Um, right now I do have three spots open. Okay. Uh, that's awesome. Until, until the, the summer when we'll be reassessing. And potentially nice. open more spots. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, I am just so glad that you were randomly chosen or however they do it <laughs> at, at lunch club, um, that uh, you were my very first new. And I was, I was like, when they ask you at the end, how relevant was this match? And I'm like, is there something besides a fifth star? Can I say like I a know. six or seven? <laughs> so same. I just I feel the same way. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Find the link to sign up for Becoming, Alessandra's intimate communal learning experience in the show notes at playgrounding.com 66. Also, I want to announce that I'm going to be a speaker at the upcoming Playful Creative Summit the last week of April. You'll be hearing a lot more about that in the weeks to come, but you can find the link to register at playgrounding.com. All right, see you next week.